morning I'm going to begin by looking in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Sorry about the inconvenience of the deck being closed today. <laughs> the, I painted it yesterday, so it has to cure for 72 hours. So apologize for the inconvenience for today. Bring that by me again. The uh, scripture. First uh, Samuel chapter 13, beginning verse one. First Samuel 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had ruled two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself three thousand men of Israel. Two thousand were with Saul in Michmash, and in the mountains of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the camp of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the camp of the Philistines, and that Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people who were called together at Gilgal, Saul and Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and camped in Michmash to the east of beth And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and holes and rocks and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So this is a very dark time in the history of Israel. And this is a, when we read a Bible story like this, it's not just meant to be a, a biblical history lesson, but it's meant to be something that we can learn from. In Hebrews chapter 6 it says, Follow those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. And so <clears throat> we have to look at this, this story here. And let God speak to us about how it can benefit us. What it can speak to us about us and about our life and about our situations. So you see here that the people of Israel heard Saul blew the trumpet and they heard what the Philistines had done. And they panicked. Some of them crossed over the other side of the Jordan River to get away. Some went into holes and in caves in the ground. And some actually, as we read later, some of them actually joined the Philistines in their battle against Israel. 
You say, well, what would cause them to do that? Why would they do something like that? They saw and they feared. It's all about human reasoning, about logic. They got a lot more people than we have. It was all about scholarship. Well, they have 30,000 chariots and we have this many men and, and we can't go against them because they got more than us. They're better equipped than us. It's all about, about human wisdom and logic, human reasoning and scholarship and all that kind of stuff. And what did it lead to? It led to fear and doing things out of panic and fear, living in fear. David, who wrote the book of Psalms, said, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He wrote many of the Psalms. That's one of them. It says it in one of them. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. David felt fear just like the rest of us. But he also slayed a giant. And a very powerful story. That's not the story we're reading here. But you see a dark situation in the history of Israel here. So we move down to verse 15. In this dark time, it says that Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. So what happened to the 3,000 men? Now it's down to 600 men. Saul blew the trumpet thinking all of Israel was going to you know, rally around him and everything when he blew the trumpet and sent out the messengers. Instead, more of his men abandoned him. He's down to 600 men. Verse 16, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One, in terms of show the different towns they went to. And then in Verse 19, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. Philistine said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. Now all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen his plow, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And and they charged them for the sharpening of him for the plowshares, mattocks, forks, axes, to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. So the Philistines had rule over Israel at this time. And they didn't have any weapons of steel. They didn't have any swords. They didn't have any spears. (laughs) What was their army equipped with? Sticks, staffs, you know, made out of wood, out of uh, a staff of of wood, clubs. Because they had axes, maybe they had axes. So you can see that they didn't have any real weapons. Maybe they had bow and arrow, I don't know. But it, they didn't have any spears or any swords, the two main uh, weapons in that time. And they went to war. And all the 
And the Philistines, not only did they have all those weapons of war and more, but they had chariots, they had a cavalry of horsemen, 600, a cavalry of 600 horsemen. And so, there's a great disadvantage that Israel had from a sense of logic, common sense. Thankfully, there was somebody in this camp that didn't operate by logic and common sense. Chapter 14 in verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' camp that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. And Migron. And the people who were with them were about 600 men. And Ahijah, son of Itub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Verse 6. Then Jonathan said to young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison or the camp of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you, according to your heart. This was not a man operating by logic and common sense. Yes, there's a time for logic and common sense, but then there's a time that we have to go beyond that. And so, an impossible situation, the words come out of Jonathan's mouth. We read last week, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <clears throat> and here we see it directly come out of the mouth of Jonathan. God doesn't need a whole bunch of people when going against this camp. Does it, need, it doesn't matter whether it's many or few. God God is the one who's in control here. And he recognized the power of God in his situation. And we have to apply this to our life. That we have to have our faith in the power of God. Not in the power of human reasoning. Not in the power of our own logic. Not in the power of common sense. Because they cause us to stumble at times like this. And they cause us to panic and, and, and reach out for a plan B or C. And it's not the answer. It's not God's answer. The God's answer is to, to stand still and see the, the, the salvation of God. To put his, our faith in his power. To look not to ourselves, but to look to him. And you see the difference between Jonathan and his father and the other men who were shaking in fear. Jonathan's not shaking in fear. He's facing the same situation, the same problem. Jonathan already attacked the camp of the Philistines once. And that's what caused this big rousing up. You know, he didn't live by the rule, let sleeping dogs lie. You know, he stirred up the Philistines. And now there's going to be this confrontation. 
And everyone is shaking and trembling. And, and, and Saul took his 600 men and went back home to Gibeah, where he was hometown. And everybody else is hiding in the caves or hiding in the ground or they left and went across the Jordan River. Some of them went back and joined the Philistines' army to help them against their own countrymen. It's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Very dark. But one man says to his armor bearer, God doesn't need us to have an army like theirs. It doesn't matter if God can save by many or by few. What was the difference? Jonathan saw God very differently than the others that were there. And his armor bearer heard Jonathan say that, and he didn't say, "Well, are you nuts, or you know, you gonna what are you what are you talking about? You see how there's a whole camp up there, just me and you. How are we gonna do that?" He says, "Do all that's in your heart." I'm with you in this. So he saw what Jonathan said was true. And he joined Jonathan. Verse 8, And Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to those men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place. If they say, Come up to us, Then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the camp of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming up out of the holes, which they have hidden themselves. Then the men of the camp called to Jonathan and to his armbearer and said, come up to us, and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armbearer, come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him. If you know anything about warfare, you know that you have a great advantage being on high ground. And the people coming up the mountain or the hill are a great disadvantage. I remember the story of Gettysburg on the third day of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania in the Civil War was Pickett's Charge where they decided to just come up this hill. They couldn't take it the first two days. And they went up the third day and they just marched and they got smeared trying to come up that hill. That was the end of the Battle of Gettysburg. They couldn't make it up that hill because there was people up at the top of the hill with cannons and guns and everything. And they were just sitting there like shooting squirrels, they're sitting there picking them off one after another. You're at a great disadvantage going up a hill. And they're sitting there down there looking at them instead of shooting at them with arrows or anything. They say, ah, come on up here, we're going to show you something. And they waited till Jonathan and his armor bearer came up the hill. And Jonathan knew it was from God. And so they went up the hill, and that's where we pick up again. They're climbing up the hill on their hands and knees. Verse 13, And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And the first slaughter with Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men with about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. 
The camp and the raiders also trembled, and the earth shook, so that it was a very great trembling. So God was working with them. God was working with Jonathan and his armor bearer. He began to shake the ground. Earthquake, whatever. And there was a very great trembling. He struck the Philistines with fear. God was working with them. Now the watchmen of Saul, verse 16, the watchmen of Saul of Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. And Saul said to the people with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. Indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. God turned the Philistines against one another in the confusion. And they were killing each other. Verse 21, Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. So what a turn of the tables. A place of complete darkness turns into a shining light, where God to completely turn the tables on the Philistines, who had the great advantage, and all of a sudden, they were on the run. They were on the run. And all these people who are living in fear, all of a sudden, when they see their enemy running, now all of a sudden, they become brave and courageous. Why? Because they're people of the flesh. They're people of logic. It's a lot easier to defeat an army no matter how big it is when their backs are to you. When they're not fighting, when they're running away. When they're scared. And so, they all joined in battle. All the people are living in fear. Now they joined the battle because they were people of human reasoning, of logic, of common sense. So we look at the story of Jonathan as we have many times and there's a message in that about how we should live. When the Bible says the just shall live by faith in the book of Habakkuk it's mentioned again in the book of Romans the just shall live by faith. And so when we are told the just shall live by faith it means even in times like this. When it says we should follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, it means people like this in this story of Jonathan and his armor bearer who looked the darkness in the eye and did not live in fear. They went forward in faith. 
And certainly we're not called to go forward in with swords and spears. As the people of God of the New Covenant. But at the same time, there's a lesson that clearly can be learned from this. That we are called to trust God no matter what things look like. And to not live in fear. Not to be bound in fear. Fear and faith are complete opposites. If we're living in fear, we're not living in faith. If we're we're depressed, we're not living in faith. If we're discouraged, we're not living in faith. We must be very clear of our understanding of that. These things are the opposite of faith. And the Bible says it doesn't please God, except if we believe that He will reward us for seeking Him diligently. So if we're not praying the prayer of faith, if we're not walking in faith, we can't please God. It's the way it is. So, well, does that seem a little harsh and a little stern? No, this is the word of God. That God puts upon us an expectation that what he has declared, we have to believe. We need to believe it. And so, in the Old Covenant, it was, if you walk with me, your enemies will not be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And so, there is a man who dared to believe that in this story. And he stood on the promise of God concerning that. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. Give you a minute to get there. Thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.17 Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Were the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, But in him was yes, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who has established us with you in Christ, has anointed us, is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In this passage, the Apostle Paul makes something very clear. 
that he didn't preach a mixed message of, may, of maybe, maybe, maybe yes and maybe no, as you're reading in this here. He said, we didn't pre- preach you a message of yes and no. He said, all the promises of God are yes in Him. And who's Him? In Christ. If we are in Christ, the promises of God are yes in Christ. And amen. To the glory of God. To the glory of God through us. We have to understand that whatever God promises, all the blessings that He's promised to us, all the promises of help and encouragement and everything else, and guidance, protect all these things, are yes in Christ. Not maybe. Not maybe yes, maybe no. He says they're all yes in Christ. We have to understand, first of all, what the promises are of God to the New Testament Christian. But when we do, we understand that if we're walking with Christ, for in Christ, those promises are yes. In other words, we can hang our hat on that. But when it doesn't look like it's going that way, doesn't look like God's helping me, doesn't look like He's watching out for me, doesn't look like He's hearing me, there we go again. Logic, human reasoning, common sense, all those things that cause us to stumble and fall when it comes to, when it comes to spiritual realities. Life in Christ is not natural. It's not mortal. It's supernatural. And so, in order to understand God, in order to understand His promises, understand His Word, is supernatural. There has to be supernatural reasoning. Spiritual reasoning. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's how we have peace, through being spiritually minded. When we say, I'm trying to find peace I'm trying to find my way, but I'm be you know I'm full of these fears and doubts. We're carnally minded. We're not spiritually minded. To be spiritually minded means to walk in faith, trusting God, trusting what He said, trusting what He's promised, trusting in His help. Trusting for him to turn the tables when they look dark like it did in the days of Saul and Jonathan. You know, the story that comes not too far after the story of Jonathan, down the road the little ways in 1 Samuel, is a story of David and Goliath. And as I read that story of David and Goliath, there's one thing that keeps on going off in the back of my mind. Maybe it does for you too. Because it says that Goliath was coming out for 40 days and challenging Israel, and all of Israel went and hid. And they were afraid of the giant for 40 days until David came and said, 
What are you afraid of this guy for? You know, what are you afraid of him? He, who's this guy, this uncircumcised guy? And so, and he goes through the whole thing, he kills Goliath. And the whole time I'm asking myself in the back of my mind this little question. What happened to Jonathan? Where's he at? Yeah, it was David's turn, but it's just a little something that goes on in the back of my mind, you know? But we can see how faith can come and go. One minute we're walking in faith, next minute we're living in fear. It turns out that Jonathan was there. Because when he came back, David came back from killing Goliath, he was met up by Jonathan. Jonathan gave him his sword and his and his, his armor. He gave, Jonathan gave him his armor. And they and it says they really their souls were knit together and they became great friends that day. Jonathan loves David. But you ask yourself that question. And so we must put our guard on because we see after that that there was times where David uh, became fearful. We saw Elijah become fearful. Great men of God who God used powerfully. We see Moses become doubtful. When God told him he's going to give meat for the whole congregation. And God said to Moses, has the hand of the Lord become short? You know? Great men of God have had their times of weakness. The father of faith, Abraham, we see that he struggled at times to trust God. But when we struggle, understand this, it's not okay. We can't just stay there. It's not okay to stay that place. We have to come out of that and go back to trusting God. As soon as we recognize that we're, we're struggling and that we're, we're not walking in faith, we got to, you know, get back on our feet and dust ourselves off and get back on our horse and walk back on that road of faith again. I can tell you that in my time as a Christian, I've experienced both. Those times of look being in the dark and, and just feeling like I'm going to melt and feel like I'm going to come apart. And then God encourages me. And then we get back to trusting God. And we must walk in faith even in the darkest of times. And there have been some very dark times in our lives. Speaking of Kate and I and our family and everything, there's been some times that have been so dark it was unspeakable. But God has delivered us out of all these trials and continues to deliver us. And many of you have the same testimony. Promises of God are yes in Christ. We have to take our our flag and and, and plant it there in that in that place where God's promises are and stand there. In verse twenty four, he says, "Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand." We stand by faith. 
We have to stand by faith. Not faltering, not crawling, standing and walking and running the race. We have to move forward. For all the promises of God are yes in Christ and amen to the glory of God. We have to embrace that. And live by that. Or we'll be like the Israelites who are hiding in the holes. Crossing the Jordan to get away and hide. Running from the roar of the lion. What does logic say? I can't figure out how God could possibly help me. I can't see how God can help in this situation. Yeah. Um, seeing is believing, right? The Bible says, why do we have to hope for things that we already see? We see things happening. We don't need faith. We don't need to have it. We already see it. We see God working, we don't... Did Jonathan see that? Did it ever get any darker in Israel than, than a time like that? No swords, no spears. The army left, hiding in holes, in caves. Everybody running away, cowardly running away. Nobody standing by faith. One man stands by faith. Gets his armor bearer, encourages his armor bearer to stand by faith. And then they go. And they begin to walk on the water and stand by faith. And they climb up that cliff. And Israel was saved by the faith of two men. Israel was saved because God responded to their faith. And there was deliverance in Israel that day. We kind of have to read, believe, read. <clears throat> sorry, read between the lines with a message like this to understand what it means for us as New Testament Christians when we read a story like that. Think of the words of Jesus: "According to your faith, let it be done to you." As you have believed, so let it be done to you. God's response to faith, to believing Him. John 4, 46, we read now, Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 46. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, John 4, 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. 
And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judah into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, Your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour which, when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him, and the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed in his whole household. <clears throat> you see in here a man who comes to Jesus and says, you got to come to my house. My servant's dying, you know. Or my, my child is dying. I'm sorry. His son was sick. And he wanted to come down, and Jesus' response to him was, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. He said it to that man who was coming to him saying, you know, heal, heal my son. Come, come down to my house, heal my son. And so, see, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll be no, by no means believe. He said it right to them. Now, you may think that's a little harsh, but he's teaching us something about putting our trust in God here. And so, the nobleman says a second time, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. He's not asking Jesus to come with him anymore. He doesn't need Jesus to come and wave his arms over and walk with him all the way back and wave his arms over him. Why not? Because faith entered his heart. He didn't see his son better. He wasn't back home seeing his son better. He stopped asking Jesus to come. He says, okay. He, went, he, he believed. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. back a couple books to the Gospel of Mark in chapter uh, 4. Mark chapter 4. I'd like to look at this at this uh, parable here that Jesus said and we'll meditate on it for a minute verse 26 and he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how for the earth yields crops by itself first the blade 
the head, the full grain in the head, and when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this. This is one of the principles, this parable is one of the principles and a message about the kingdom of God. But it also shows you how the kingdom of God works. In Galatians chapter 6 it says, Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he'll reap eternal life. And you see here a man, he sows seed. When we sow to the spirit, we'll reap a spiritual harvest. We'll reap the benefits of that. When we sow seeds of faith, we'll reap the benefits of it. We'll reap the promises of God. But if we sow seeds of human logic, human wisdom, natural reasoning, common sense, and nothing more than those things, if we don't stand by faith, we'll reap that too. We'll reap the opposite of the blessings of faith. And so as we read this parable, meditate on it. It says when you, you know, you plant seed in the ground, the day you plant the seed is not the day you reap the harvest. There is a process that happens with faith. When you plant seed, then there's patience. You know, any of us who have been gardeners or farmers or any of that other stuff, you know the process. You know, late winter, early spring, you prepare the soil. And then in the spring, you plant the seed. And then all summer long, there's nurturing and watering and tending and weeding. And then comes the, the time where the fruit ripens and you begin to reap the rewards of your hard work. It does not usually happen for most things that you plant. I can't think of anything that you plant and you get the fruit that day. Maybe seed sprouts you do in your kitchen. Maybe they'll do that within a couple of days. That's about it. So what it means is that there's a time to plant and there's a time for harvesting. But they're not the same day. So for most things that we, we sow the seeds of faith, we trust God and we embrace His promises we embrace His Word, there's going to be a time of trial and testing. But we're going to need to tend to that faith. We're going to need to nurture that faith. We're going to need to feed that faith. And we're going to need to stand on that faith. And as it says, we have a need of patience. That after we've done the will of God, that we'll receive the things that are promised. Patience. Follow those who through faith and patience receive the promises. I'd like to go to that place in Hebrews 6 and read that and everything that's surrounding it.
chapter 6 of Hebrews in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of a promise the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge, to lay, to, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Throne of God. The couple things that stand out in this passage. One of them is is that in the last part we read about two unchangeable things. By two unchangeable things, we have hope. The two unchangeable things is God gave His word, and secondly, He swore by an oath. And it says that God doesn't lie. So when God makes a statement and swears by it, that's the end of the matter. It says, For indeed men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. That's the end of it. So when God says something and then swears by it, that's the end of all matters. And what was what he swore by? Surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I multiply you. That was... And then Abraham patiently endured and obtained the promise. Patient endurance. We must run the race. We have to run the race that's set before us by faith. And endure whatever God allows us to endure. Whatever things that we're going through, God is allowing them. So let's rest in that. And through patience and endurance, by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. So instead of being lazy and sluggish about that, let's feed our faith. Let's encourage ourselves in the promise of God and the oath that he swore that in Christ he would bless all the earth. All the the people of the earth would be blessed through Christ and all the blessings that we have and all the promises that we have in Christ. So that we shed full assurance of hope until the end. If we get sluggish and lazy about a garden, you know what it's going to look like. Why do people 
get lazy about a garden. They think that some things are more important. They don't believe it's going to produce much. Maybe they hear that, other, that there's some sort of a drought that's going to come and or they look at the weeds and they say, oh, it's too much. or And they stop tending the garden and they don't get much of a harvest, do they? The weeds choke out the harvest, choke out the, the, the good crop and they become, it becomes unfruitful. Why? Because of the challenge the farmer became sluggish. He lost hope. He got distracted by other things. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And when, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So, God also set a hope before us. And it says in verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus went before us to the throne of God. And it says we should come boldly to the throne of grace because of that, that we might receive mercy and help for our time of need. All the promises that we have in Christ that are yes is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And through faith in that, we should have hope. All the promises of God should give us hope. And that not only he gave his word, but he promised his promises. And he even swearing with an oath. So, if we could summarize what we just shared for myself, I'll just say that This might seem a little extreme, this kind of a lifestyle, to not be moved by the things that we see. But again, the scriptures confirm that that's what God is telling us. That's what God says, that we walk by faith and not by sight. So that's what 